Today's transfiguration. Today, and you don't believe me, but it's the truth. Today is the day Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. Now, what we believe is that through the mystery of liturgy and sacrament, we enter into the experience of the transfiguration. It is not like a movie or a TV show. Now, Peter and I happened to be listening to one that, that was a spoof on a TV show that many of you may remember. You were there. Well, we were there. We're, today, we experience the transfiguration. All the music is about the transfiguration, and that's what this whole service is about today. And I couldn't help but bring with me one of the hymns. You know, sometimes we have some pointed hymns. Here's one of them. Now, please don't take this too personally. It's actually addressed to the apostles. So if it can be addressed to the apostles, don't take it, don't, don't take it as though I'm wounding you. But here's what it says. Awake, you sluggards! <laughs> Talking to Peter, James, and John. Well, they were sleeping, weren't they? I mean, here's Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And here's this huge light that uh, I mean, you know there's no way we can comprehend what's going on here it's impossible how can you comprehend what's actually happening nothing like it ever happened before and nothing like it is going to happen again for a while though part of the whole point of today is that hopefully it's going to happen to you but here's this incredible glowing and they're zing out they are asleep. Can you imagine it? The most spectacular thing that human eyes had probably ever seen. I mean, this is bigger than angels in choruses singing glory to God in the highest. I mean, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But when you've got, you know, Moses who's been dead for about 1,300 years and Elijah who's been dead for about 700 years and they're sitting there discussing the events to come with Jesus and the whole place is just glowing incredibly and... You know, they're sleeping. So, awake, you sluggards, arise from the ground, lie not forever on the ground, and you thoughts that draw my soul towards the earth, arise and go up to the high slope of the divine ascent. But so you know that it's not just addressed to Peter, James, and John. Let us run to join Peter and the sons of Zebedee, and go with them to Mount Tabor, that we with them may see the glory of our God and hear the voice they heard from heaven. And they proclaim that this is truly the effulgent splendor of the Father, because Jesus is the effulgent splendor, the overflowing glory light of the Father. What a grand day. I had an interesting experience this week. I was at a particular place, I don't want to identify it, but I saw a man with a message on his t-shirt. And I looked at it about ten times, and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know whether to engage the man in conversation, not with being hostile, but I, I felt really bad for what he had on his t-shirt. Uh, he was a man I would assume was somewhere in his 60s. He was too old to have messages on his t-shirt. It's okay for teens and 20s and maybe some 30s to have messages on a t-shirt. But when you get a little older, come on, already it's too late. You don't put messages on your t-shirt. And here was the message on his t-shirt. If heaven is such a wonderful place, 
Why are so many people missing? I assume that the message that he was trying to present was that heaven really isn't a wonderful place at all because so many people, say Christians, are going to be missing. Well, and I imagine it was a takeoff, you know, on the popular novel. I imagine that. But I thought, I even used the word, my friend. Why would you even ask such a question? If heaven is such a wonderful place, why are so many people missing? Why would anybody be missing? Well, first of all, I'm going to answer the question. If heaven is such a wonderful place, why are so many people missing? Well, the answer to that question is given in something you hear every single divine liturgy. It's one of the exclamations, For you are a merciful God, and love mankind, and unto you we ascribe glory, together with your Father who is without beginning, and your all-holy good, and life-giving Spirit now and ever, and unto ages of ages, Amen. The answer to the question is, why would a good God force anyone to be in his heaven who doesn't want to be there? God will never force his heaven upon you. And you say, well, Father, there's nobody who wouldn't want to be in heaven. Don't you believe that for a minute? Heaven ain't gonna be a very wonderful place for people who don't want to be there? I love the little old hymn that I learned as a child. Everybody talking about heaven ain't a going there. You remember that? Some of those old folks do. Everybody talking about heaven ain't a going there. Who's not going to go there? Do you know that heaven is for those who want to be there? And for those who don't want to be there, the merciful God will let you be just like you are right now. I used to think about heaven and hell when I was a child. And I thought, I don't want to go to hell. But I also thought, I don't want to go to heaven. Can you answer the question? You don't have to answer out loud, but do you know why? As a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old, I didn't want to go to heaven. Boring. That's what I thought. I thought, oh my goodness, I mean, forever and ever, just strumming a harp, you know, flying around or whatever a 12-year-old thinks heaven might be. I thought, I don't want to go to heaven. I thought what I would like to do is to live 10,000 years and then croak. I'd like to live about 10,000 years and die and then have it all over. I didn't want a short life, but I didn't want it too long. Because even as a teenager, I could understand that if heaven were just going to be like everything is right now, how tragic that would be. There are many people who think that they can fix this world up. After enough years and listening to the news about enough wars, and nobody seems to be able to fix it, and everybody would like to fix it. And how would you like to live in a world where it just got worse and worse and worse and worse forever? And St. Athanasius of Alexandria taught in a book he wrote when he was a very young man, 21, and we still read it today on the Incarnation. 
He taught, and the church believes this, that what happens when you leave mankind to himself without God, that he just gets worse and worse and worse into all eternity. You know what I'd call that world amongst other things? I would call it hell. It's bad enough now, isn't it? My parents used to talk about the war that was going to end all wars, and my uncles fought in the war that was going to end all wars. You remember that one? No, most of you don't remember it. The First World War. It didn't end up to be the war to end all wars. It just ended up to be one more war that was a precursor to another war. And then another, and another. And then we start calling them conflicts. We get all kinds of euphemisms to describe them. And we, the most educated, civilized people on the face of this earth, seem to make no progress in making it a better place. What's the problem? The problem is a lack of transfiguration. Until humankind is transfigured, there is no hope. What we will do is we will go on pointing fingers and blaming, blame whomever, but it's never going to get anywhere, folks, without transformation. More specifically, it's not just transformation. It's transfiguration. It's transfiguration with transformation. Why? What happened on Mount Tabor was this. I sang it when I was a little boy. I sang it when I was a teenager. I sang it even as a young man. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What happened on Mount Tabor was a foretaste. It was the opportunity to see Jesus as he really is in his glory. The disciples were so weak, you get stronger than Peter, James, and John, really. And even Peter, James, and John were asleep. They really couldn't bear the glory. And when they could respond, we tend to think that Peter's response wasn't very appropriate. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You get this one for free, but I never could figure out how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? They had some pictures in their wallets? They know what Moses and Elijah looked like. You can't figure they were dum-dums. They understood who they were seeing. My goodness, even they didn't understand. What is needed? What is needed is to become what God intended you to become and to be in the first place. He intended you to be in the image of his beloved son. Now you say, Father, do you mean to say that we're supposed to look someday like Jesus looked on the mountain of transfiguration? Well, of course that's what I mean. Says St. John, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there and saw it, he said, Beloved, we do not now know what we shall be. But we do know this, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, of course, did anyone know what he is like in his glory? 
Three people sure did. Peter did, James did, and John who wrote that did. So we celebrate today Transfiguration. We celebrate it because we celebrate the great events in Jesus' life. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate his death. We celebrate his baptism. We celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate his ascension into heaven. We celebrate his transfiguration on the Mount of Glory. We celebrate these things because they're so crucial in his life. But we also celebrate them because they're so important to our life. The blessing, the final blessing for today. You know, on a feast day, we have a different final blessing. You know, the priest says, Christ, our true God, who was risen from the dead through the intercessions of his most pure and holy mothers, holy, glorious, and all worthy apostles. But on this day, on Transfiguration Day, we say, May Christ, our true God, who was transfigured on Mount Tabor in glory before his holy disciples and apostles for our salvation through the intercessions of his most pure and holy mother, etc. So today, you actually are confronted with a choice. You know, I try to make every single sermon an opportunity for you and for me to make a choice. Today, what you're supposed to see is you're supposed to see Jesus transfigured, glowing, brilliant, brighter than any sun could ever be. Not just our son, but any son. Transfigured in glory. And you're supposed to see him. And in your heart, you need to say to yourself, Yes, that's what I want. I would like to be like that. 